Good morning. I'm Anna Marie, and it's time again for Focus. Thank you for joining us. I think you're going to get a lot out of this interview with Glenn Cranfield. He's the CEO of Nashville Rescue Mission. First of all, welcome. Thank you for coming back to see us again. Oh, it's so great to be here. It's so nice to be here with you and to talk to all the listeners, and hopefully we'll have a good time today. <laughs> we always do. You make me laugh a lot, but then you make me cry a little bit because you have such a good heart and you help our community so much. So let's talk, first of all, about the Nashville Rescue Mission, uh, what it does, who it helps. Yes, the Nashville Rescue Mission has been a part of Nashville for a long time, since 1954, caring for the homeless and the underprivileged right here in Nashville. And it's certainly grown over the years. As our city has grown, so has the need. And so it's great to have a place like Nashville Rescue Mission to be able to take care of those that are most vulnerable people among us, the homeless and the hurting and the helpless. And we're there to offer them hope and help and healing, food and meals and shelter. And, and everything that you would need on the course of a day-to-day life, we're there to provide that for them. Does it have to be someone who is experiencing homelessness Uh or is it somebody who is, would you clarify for us? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, for years it has been homeless. And we try to to stay away from mission drift because there's all kinds of areas in which you can get involved with when you're dealing with our population. But here recently we're really beginning to do a lot of research and study for preventing homelessness. So if we can prevent someone from becoming homeless, then that really stops that before they actually get on the streets. Because once they're on the street, it just is a very difficult life. So if we can help them and understand, here's some things that we can do. Here's some ways that we can help. Here's some ways to communicate and surround you and help yeah. to prevent you from being homeless in the first place. So we're working on that right now. It's a really exciting time. Are there statistics about after someone actually becomes homeless, they're probably not going to get back into housing or... There are studies and there are numbers on that and they vary all over the, I mean, based upon different regions in the country and so forth. And so it's important enough that it's really garnered our attention to say, hey, this person has experienced what we call episode of homelessness now three or four or more times. And so instead of just being a revolving door, what can we do to help them so that they don't need our services so much in the future? If we can help them get into a stable housing situation situation, an apartment, a job, and so forth. That really is our emphasis from here on out. So do you refer them to other agencies, or are you putting programs in place at Nashville Rescue Mission? Both. We're putting programs in place, and we're working and cooperating with other agencies, uh, both for-profit and non-profit, to determine what's the best pathway for this, even in the area of counseling and rehabilitative work. So we have a wonderful program of the, of, of that nature there at the mission. But there's some people that maybe that we can rely upon some for-profit organizations to say, hey, let's work together to help this person. Their needs are very specialized, and you specialized in this area. Let's work to help to get them into productive living. So who should reach out to you? Or do you do the reach outs to people who need help? We do the reach outs to f- with folks that need help. We work with the mental health co-op. Uh, we work with different uh, doctors and different uh, agencies to really determine how can we work together. And so we're at, you know, oftentimes when somebody comes to us, they're hungry, they need a place to spend the night. And, and a lot of times the, the tendency is to think that's their only need, but their need is greater than that. The question is, what caused you to get to this place? 
What is it that prompted you or that made you become homeless in the first place? Homelessness to us, and I don't mean to simplify it, but it's more of a symptom than it is the problem. And so we want to figure out, okay, homelessness is now evident. You're, you're lacking of food and shelter and clothing and so forth. But there's some underlying issues and reasons that cause you to become homelessness. That's what we have to work on and figure out. One of the causes of homelessness is not just that people are lazy. Oh, absolutely not. You know, and I get this all the time. Two things. One is that they're lazy and one is that they're addicted to substance abuse, whether it's drugs or alcohol. And neither one of those are true. And so oftentimes it's what comes first when you're dealing with substance abuse. Are they homeless because of substance abuse or they having substance abuse issues because they're trying to deal with poverty and homelessness. Mm -hmm. And so really, you know, uh, there's a large portion of the folks that we work with that do have substance issues, but it's not the underlying cause of homelessness. We have issues just in our, in our community that we know when we hear about affordable housing, the lack of affordable housing. Nashville has experienced an incredible boom, a building boom. Well, that has caused the rents and that's caused the mortgages and all that to increase. And it's certainly left a lot of people behind. And I'm really excited just to hear recently that the mayor is working on an affordable housing task force to really address this in a serious task force of incredible community leaders that are coming together to say, hey, we can talk about this and we can say it's an issue, but we have to do something about it. And so I'm really excited about that. And so how do you address those? Well, with the lack of usable job skills, we work internally with everyone that's homeless that comes into the program. Most people don't know this, but they all have a work responsibility. So we have some that are working in the kitchen, some that are working in the warehouse, and some that are working in the lawn care, some that are working in custodial care. We're trying to teach them. Yes, we're trying to teach them job skills. That's right. But more importantly, we're just trying to teach them responsibility. Mm -hmm. We're trying to teach them to, to get to work on time. And so we treat them and, and act as if they're employees so that they don't just go from homelessness into a job. So while they're there at the mission, they learn responsibility and what it means to be an effective employee, what it means to be dependable. So when they leave the mission for a job, they do have a sense of some of that already. And so we really work to help them with those understandings. We're talking today with Glenn Cranfield, CEO of the Nashville Rescue Mission. Are you one of the counselors? I am not. I'm not. I'm, I have a pastoral training background, and I have pastored before and have counseled before. But oftentimes, even in church, when I counsel people, I tell them at the very beginning, I'll start this, <laughs> but I can't finish it. <laughs> if I can start this with you, then I'm going to hand you off to somebody that God has given them that that gift and that ability. <laughs> and so oftentimes, that's what I do even at the mission. Say, I'm going to hand you off now <laughs> to somebody that can really help you. Have the needs changed for people who are experiencing homelessness? You know, the needs are the same. Uh, when we look at it at the very base level, they're without a home, they're without a job. And, and so those needs have changed. What is becoming more and more difficult for us are, are the mental health issues, the uh, issues of uh, our culture that we're in right now, the entitlement, those things. You know, when I was a little boy growing up, you know, my father told me, 
you know, the number one responsibility you have is to be a good hand. What he meant was you need to be responsible. You need to work hard for your employer. You need to make them, you know, proud of you as a worker. Well, today the mentality and the entitlement has changed. And I think those attitudes more of anything has changed. The realness of it is the same. The homeless, they're hungry, they're hurting, they they need a place to spend the night. But what the attitudes of our culture has certainly changed. I remember talking to someone who I had met maybe at an event at the National Rescue Mission. Maybe we did one of the serving days on mm-hmm. Thanksgiving or Christmas. And uh, we kept in touch for a while. And he would say something like, uh, they, somebody just needs to give me a job. And something that pays more than like minimum wage, like a dishwasher. Somebody just needs to give me a job. Because he really they kind of had that mindset of like, you know, they don't know what they're missing. And I just they just need to do that for me. Well, you know, that's that's an attitude many times of the people we serve. But it's also a thought of the people that are just in our, our uh, community at large. I agree. You know, well, they just need to get a job. And I have one one donor that I worked with for a long time. And he was just like, you know, I really want to help so and so for the women. But the men, they just need to get a job. And oh, I said, oh, you know, oh. I wish it were that easy. Yeah. I really do. I wish it were just easy enough to say if we could just get them a job, everything goes away. But that is so not the case because the reason they don't have a job, the reason that they don't have homelessness is way underneath those layers that we talked about before. And so he can get a job today. But if we don't deal with what's way down deep inside, he's going to lose that job within 30 days and be back homeless. And the problem is then he quits looking for jobs. Because now he's going to be chronically homeless because every time he gets a job, he gets released. Or every time he gets a gets on the road to recovery, he gets released because he hasn't dealt. No one has taken the time to deal with what is causing that. Mm-hmm. And so what we have to do is figure out, okay, how can we help you? How can we get to the, to the crux of the matter so that you can be employable? And I tell people all the time, you know, they're staying at a job. And I just say, I sure wish it were that easy. I really do. Yeah. But it's so, so much more complicated than that. If you're just joining us, I'm Anna Marie, and this is Focus. We're talking with Glenn Cranfield, CEO of Nashville Rescue Mission. Are there more people experiencing homelessness now than before the pandemic? Yes, there are. Not drastic. I'm really concerned about what happens four to six months from now, because because as evictions begin to occur, as we begin to come out of Corona, uh, the the COVID nineteen situation, then we go back into some of the 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 things that people are doing before that, but they still can't pay their rent. Many haven't paid their rent now for many for months. Right, and so now the landlords will begin to be, you know, to evict and so forth. And so there will be a repercussion six months, four to six months from now that we're really, really worried about. I think in, um, well, I think it was Yale University professor did a study and he was just looking at all the different parameters regarding all that. And he was suggesting we're going to see in 2021 a 25% increase in homelessness. That's huge. That's huge anywhere, but a 25% increase in homelessness in Nashville is just phenomenal. And I, you know, so we're trying to work ahead of that and say, hey, let's do everything that we can to keep that from occurring here in Nashville. 
do we have numbers on how many people are homeless in Nashville? We do. Our numbers are a year old because the last point in time count that we did because of COVID-19 and so forth is January 2020. And so roughly between 2,500 and 3,000 mm-hmm. is the number of homeless people. And because of COVID-19, we have not, uh, as all the agencies working together with the metro government, we haven't been able to do the uh, surveys where we go into the camps and we go out and we actually seek out the homeless and we interview them or sit down and talk with them really determine that. We call that the point in time count. And so all of our thinkings right now are just our own numbers that we have and the anecdotal things that are happening in the community. We do know that the homelessness is increasing. We have the numbers from the Mission, Room in the Inn, Salvation Army, and the Fairgrounds. But our real concern, again, is what's going to happen after COVID-19 begins to calm down. What is Nashville Rescue Mission? What are some of the other places? Uh, what are you doing to prepare for that surge in homelessness? And what can we do? What can we do as a community? Yeah, one thing that's happening right now is that we are, uh, and this was already in the works, but we're rebuilding the Women and Children's Campus because that seems to be the number of the greatest number of increase in homelessness right now in Nashville, but also throughout the country. So we're rebuilding that campus, and hopefully we'll be starting that building project uh, mid-summer uh, 2021. And, and so construction will take a year or so's time, but we're trying to build it anticipating the surge in homelessness that's coming, as well as just the general growth itself. So, And then the men's center, and the men's center is, is, is able to take care of the overflow that comes in right now. We're grateful for that. But I think, you know, the great question you asked is, what can we do? And I think just to understand that we are going to see more and more homeless on the streets. We're going to see more and more people on the street corners. And to direct them to a place that can really provide the care that they need. We can give them a hamburger. We can certainly do that. But the that takes care of that moment. But if I can get them to the mission or room in the end or Salvation Army or Safe Haven, then I know they're going to get three meals that are hot. They're going to get a nice place to spend the night. They'll get a nice warm shower, but they're also going to get case management and counseling and therapy, and that's the difference. And so I'd love to be able to give them a hamburger. That's great. But if I can give you more by encouraging you to go down to where real help is, then that's going to make a difference in your life. And we say that. We have a phrase that we say, we're interested in real change, not spare change. You know? Nice, nice. And it's kind of that teach a man to fish <clears throat> thing. That's exactly right. to make right. sure they get where they can maintain and take care of themselves. That's exactly right. And it's offering people a hand up and you know, not a handout. All those things and all those attractive things are accurate. We're trying to teach you how to take care of yourself. We're trying to teach you to take care of your situation that you're in so that you don't find yourself here again or in need of our services ongoing. Plus, it gives them a little breathing room if they have shelter, if they have food, if they have a warm shower. It gives them a little breathing room so they can stop and take stock of things and then make a plan. Absolutely. You're just dealing with the data. If you're putting out fires all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's critical when you can imagine if I don't know where I'm going to eat lunch today, I know where I'm going to eat tonight. But, you know, there are people that don't. 
And so they don't know where they're going to sleep tonight. Mm-hmm. And so we never think of that. That is not a cognizant thought Mm-mm. in our thinking. We never in- encounter the thought of where am I going to spend the night in a shelter, in a, in a doorway, in a parking garage. We never think about that. And so you're right. If that's if that's captivating my thinking, then I can't stop and take care of myself because I'm always worried about just living and existing. And so the mission is there to say, hey, now you can stop. We're going to take care of all those things, the food, the clothing, the shower, the shelter. And now let's talk about those other things that you haven't been able to deal with so that we can get you into productive living. Do you have any idea why more women and children are becoming homeless? I think that, sad to say, there a lot of that is because of abandonment. Uh, their boyfriends or husbands, you know, get into difficult situations. And you know, it's a sad day that we're living in when they just walk out instead of work it out. And that's really difficult. You know, uh, marriage used to be an institution that, that you know, you have difficult things and difficult things come and different decisions have to be made. But right now it just seems like real quick, I'm just walking out, I'm walking away. And so many times it's the, it's the mom left with the children because the, the husband or the boyfriend or the companion walked away. And so we're, we're seeing more and more of that where uh, we have just abandonment issues more than anything else. So that creates a whole different set of challenges if you have a, a woman and children. It does. It does. And we have a, between 60 and 100 kids below the age of 16 there at the shelter at any given time. And that creates another uh, issue for us. You know, that's why we have these women and children separate campus from the men is because we're dealing with two sets of issues. We're actually three and four if you want to get technical. We have the men. Then we have the women and single women. Then we have mothers with children. Those are three issues. But the fourth is that eight-year-old boy, is that child, you know, growing up in homelessness, growing up in generational poverty. And so our role and our goal is, it breaks my heart to say, what can I do for this mom? Because this eight-year-old really is, is living under the leadership of his mother What can I do for this mom that can affect that eight-year-old so that this becomes a moment in his life, this doesn't become his life? And so, because if I can break the cycle of homelessness for eight-year-old, and I say I, but I mean, if we can, the mission, our community, Nashville, if we can break the cycle of homelessness for this eight-year-old, then I won't see him in the men's center when he's 24. We're talking with Glenn Cranfield, the CEO of Nashville Rescue Mission. If you're just joining us, I'm Anna Marie, and this is Focus. Is there a cycle if kids experience homelessness as a child? Do they tend to experience homelessness as an adult? They do. They Some of the same things that the parents in, encountered, sadly, and this is a lesson for all of us, but sadly, it is mirrored as that... Uh, child becomes a teenager and adult and it happens very early in life you know if if uh, your mom or your dad or the boyfriend was a drug abuser with cocaine or crack or amphetamines or Adderall sorting Adderall or drinking you know drinking all the time then you're prone to following those footsteps and that's the difficult part about it and that's why it's so important for us to say 
in our Women and Children's Center, um, we're trying to do everything we can for that mom because we've got to erase as best we can those memories of what normal life is. That's it. For the eight-year-old, because he thinks that's normal. Yeah, that's how you deal with stress. That's how you deal with it. That's right. So we have to show them the new normal. And so when I first came to Nashville Rescue Mission, our men, women, and children's center, we didn't have any men working there because it's a women and children's center, which makes sense. But I really got to thinking and working with different ones across the country. And I said, they have no male role model in their life. Every male role model that they've ever had has failed them. They need to see a successful male. They need to see a male that, and so we put them strategically in counseling and therapy positions, but also in parking lot attendance and the security. So there are men there at the women's center that are successful men and so now this eight-year-old can see, instead of just seeing women all the time and counting men as being irresponsible, Whoa. he can say, hey, there are some responsible men. He doesn't think that cognizantly, no. but eventually he will be able to say, there are some men that made an impact in my life. Because also, I, I like that you pointed out that men are irresponsible because that is how I can be. That's how I will be. That's how I must be because that, that's how men are. That's right. And I'm a man, uh, now we'll be a man. I'll follow in the footsteps. Whoa. That's all I know. Whoa. How are you handling helping people with COVID and with quarantine and with social distancing and all of the things that we're having to deal with? What's, yeah. what's going on? Is that limiting your space? It's a great question. So early on, it was in uh, March of last year, 2020, we worked with the uh, metro government and with uh, different agencies to open up the fairgrounds. And so we were we we saw the need with those that are prone to illness anyway in homelessness that we have got to really get in front of this. And so we were able to transport about 200 guests to the fairgrounds to set up the fairgrounds as an emergency shelter. And so right now today we have the rescue mission men's campus. We have the women's campus, and then we also have the fairgrounds. And so we have about 200 clients out there that are being able to social distance. And, but it provides the opportunity for all three places to be able to social distance. And so, of course, we're sanitizing and wearing masks and face yeah. shields and everything. And, and we've, we've uh, kind of curtailed some of our services. We used to have chapel every single night. And so there would be a large room of 450 to 500 people in their shoulder to shoulder. Well, we can't do that right now. And so uh, we, we're, we've dispensed with the chapel services temporarily for the last year to be able to say we're doing everything that we can to combat this issue. <laughs> Somebody asked me one time, said, well, you are a Christian organization, you know, and you're not having chapel service. <laughs> then what's that all about? <laughs> and 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 so I said, and I said, you know, so if a person comes to us and eats breakfast in the morning and they come to us and eat lunch with us because we serve about 1,600 meals a day and they eat lunch with us, 1,600, then they take a warm, hot shower and they watch a little bit of news in the evening on the big TV that we have and then they eat dinner with us and then they decide I'm going to move on. They didn't go to chapel service. If they didn't experience the love of Christ because they didn't go to chapel service, 
then we have failed, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so everything we do is seasoned with the love of Christ. Everything we do is seasoned with you are important. You matter. You are loved. You have worth. You have value. And so you don't have to wait till 7 p.m. chapel service to experience that, right? Right. So everything we do needs to communicate that. So that was my answer. That's like the verse that says, if you worship me in spirit and in truth. That's right. That's right. That's right. You know, or, you know, you say you love me. Jesus was saying, you say you love me. You show you love me by how you love your fellow man. Yeah. Right. Oh, my goodness. That got me teary eyed. (laughs) Seriously, how you treat people, they'll know. What about when people say they want to help people who are homeless and they put together little uh, goodie bags or blessing bags or blankets in the car? People definitely want to help and they want to put this, these things together. What do you say? What do you recommend? Yes. Well, I love goodie bags and blessing bags and those things with toothbrush and toothpaste and deodorant. In this part, you know, this question I'm asked uh, oftentimes and and I really try because I don't want people to misunderstand what I'm saying. And so, you know, I, I want to go pass out blankets in the park. And so w- what we tell people is that when we do that, then we're actually giving them the resources that they need to stay away from the long-term help that is really available for them. Right. And so if I give this guy a blanket and he's and he stays away, in the nighttime and doesn't come to the mission or room in the inn or Salvation Army or some of the places that are available to receive real long lasting change, then am I really helping him? I helped him in the moment, but he, what he really needs is for somebody to love him, somebody to care for him, somebody to give him some time, somebody to know his name, somebody to visit with him about his history. Somebody that, and we don't have time to do that. I feel good that I gave him a blanket, but there is somebody that will enter into his life if we can help them. And so, yes, we save them, and we do that too. There are people that are just hard and fast. I will not go in. And so, yes, we we help them out in the moment because we don't want to see them hurting. We give them blankets and so forth. But the general rule for us is how can I get him? to the real help that he needs. That's ideally what we would do is trying to get them in somewhere. That's right. That's right. And if you put together a goodie bag and that's what you want to hand out, what should we be putting in it? Are we putting things that are just wasteful? Uh, No, toothpaste, toothbrush. You know, a lot of people say, well, they don't brush their teeth anyway. Well, they certainly do. Uh, Hygiene items, all hygiene items. In the wintertime, gloves, toboggans or caps, anything that you would... You know, and I tell people all the time, just think, okay, I have a 16-year-old boy I'm going to send out for a week. What do I want him to have? I want him to have these things, you know, a razor, a, a shampoo, a conditioner, a toothpaste, toothbrush, a hat, gloves, scarf, a coat, a jacket, those kinds of things. So, you know, those putting those goodie bags together does make a difference, and we have a lot of Sunday school groups and church groups and children's groups and school groups that really come together and put them back. And we take those goodie bags and we hand those out to folks and let them know these are from people that care about you. They don't know you by name. Mm -hmm. They may have never seen your face, but they, but they have an understanding that you need this and they want you to have it. And oftentimes, I mean, this is one of those things you, People don't know because they don't experience this everyday like I do. 
But when a guy looks at you or a lady looks at you with tears in her eyes and says, thank you, God bless you, that's coming from them. It, you know, I serve meal at the mission oftentimes, and I'm standing at the line and I'm handing them a plate, and they look at me with such sincerity and general, and, 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 and sincerity and general, genuine love and say, thank you, God bless you. That means the world to them. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, to be able to offer those goodie bags is is an important thing, but and people put them together and we pass them out. Okay, so that's what you kind of would like to do is if we put things together, give it to you, so yes. that way you can actually reach that person and possibly bring them in. Absolutely. And oh, we, I like that. We we deliver those every single day, and we help them understand that there's people that care about you, people love you, and our case management staff. We have a we have a kind of a standard that if you're brand new to the mission, you have to meet with one of our case management staff, and that's one of the items they get. They get a goodie bag, they get care and they love, and we get information from them, you know, who's your next of kin, any information we can get to be able to stay connected with them and treat them like an individual of worth. We're really out of time. We're over time here because it's always such a pleasure and so uplifting talking to you. But is there anything else, Glenn Cranfield, CEO of Nashville Rescue Mission, that you would like to leave us with? Yeah, there's one thing. You know, our tagline at the Nashville Rescue Mission is uh, hope lives here. That's our tagline. And so it's more than just a tagline. It's a really, a, it, it motivates us every single day. If I can just communicate, I don't care how bad you see, all the things you've been through, all the difficulty you've experienced, I want you to know there truly is hope for you. Some guy told me one time, said, use the word hope way too much. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 not enough, because real hope means that I'm loved, that I have value, that I have dignity, that I have worth, and I have change. And so I want people to know that at Nashville Rescue Mission, hope really does live there. And it's not only at Nashville Rescue Mission, hope for our entire community. And so we, we inter- wake up every day, and I know there's all kinds of things. You can watch the TV and news and read the paper and be so disgruntled by the end of all that. You don't know where to turn or what to do. But I'm going to tell you, hope is real. Hope is real. We won't always be in the situation we're in. We're going to be we're going to be great. We're going to move forward, but we're going to do it carefully. We're going to do it caring for the least of the last and the lost among us. And I just want everybody to know hope is a real thing and it lives right here in Nashville Rescue Mission, but also lives in you. Thank you so much. Glenn Cranfield, the CEO of Nashville Rescue Mission. We're going to post that and post some links on our Focus Facebook page. That's it for this week. Make sure you join us again next week. I'm Anna Marie, and that's Focus.